Hello, this is Two Minutes About Time with Luke Allen and Robert E.G. Black, the podcast that takes a look at the film About Time, two minutes at a time. I'm Richard Curtis, and I hope you enjoy it. And if you don't, well, you can just travel back in time two minutes and listen to something else. I'm one of your hosts, Luke Allen, joined as always with my co-host, Robert E.G. Black. Hello. And our special guest for this week, Pyong. Hi. We're here to talk about minutes 28 and 29 of About Time. I don't know why I need to specify of About Time. I'd hope that they know what we're talking about. We open with Harry saying, they'll say major actor gets Alzheimer's, which Tim follows off with, that's a disaster, is an understatement, as Harry continues. It's the Titanic of play openings, but with no survivors, no women, no children, not even Kate Winslet, all dead. (laughs) It's just such a good line <laughs> yeah i mean it's just you know it's, it's the phrasing it's just the, you know the the because everybody's picturing it in their in their mind like you're saying you want to see you want to you want to be in that theater you want to see how awful it was and just the picture i mean she just paints the picture beautifully doesn't he once again i think it's one of the great things with this because there's so much of this where i say i wish we could see this i wish we could see that there is life going on outside of the film yeah and i think that makes it feel more real like things happen that we don't see and we don't need to know that they we don't need to see them in order for the story to work. It feels as though other people are having their own stories just as life is. Yeah, it was like you said, I mean, why we you know, when when he came back to the house on his own and Jay was off with the Vanessa Kirby uh, character, you know, you can almost imagine what was happening in the cab, you know, or that that was that was or when um when Mary joined them or whatever was going on there, but that was something yeah. as you say we don't need to see, but it was clearly something that was there and was happening, but uh, we don't need to know about it. Mm. So then, Tim says, "Okay, I'll see what I can do." <laughs> what does that mean? What are you going to do? Ring up every critic in London and offer them a blow if they ignore the fact that we sat in total silence for half an hour, waiting for a moron to remember one single line. <laughs> I mean, again, it's just that you just feel for him, don't you? You just feel for him that every every critic is just going to come down on him like a ton of bricks. It's like his life is over. This is that thing of, you know, this is what's going to define him for the rest of his life. I mean, it's just awful. You feel for him. You completely feel for him. And it's and the way he delivers it so funny, you feel for him even more because he's being funny with it as well. Well, and yeah, Tim I, is I already think... walking out of the room and Harry follows after him still talking. Yeah, he just he just doesn't care at this point. Like Tim knows if he's rewriting it, it just doesn't matter. Yeah, which once again, I think I said before, like I'd love to have just seen a scene where Tim is just careless, like he just goes about saying nasty things to people or like robbing shops and things because he knows he can just go back and (laughs) change it afterwards. (laughs) I think it. I think it would have been hard within the Tim character for us to relate to him through that, but it seems like a sort of thing which you could imagine happening yeah yeah but again i mean it's, it's what as a writer again i would have i would have thought it's what you're trying to to the emotions you're trying to create in the film you want you know if you want people to like tim then he's got to do nice things and you got to feel for him because he's he messes up his own life by trying to be good yeah in this way so you know you feel and for he's him good from more. the start so absolutely so you're constantly you're you're rooting for him and i think if you're if you're with him through the whole film, as, as you said, Robert, you know, you, 
I said that, you know, I liked him almost straight away. Well, that's good. Well, somebody else may not like him straight away and you kind of have to work for it. But you, you feel for him and you've got to feel his feelings. And so the, you know, especially when he's, he's got that thing he wanted and he loses it. And now the rest of the film is him trying to get it back. Yeah. And you're on that journey. With so in this moment, if you don't like Tim, you've turned off already probably by now. But from now right. on, I mean, that's it. It's not working, clearly. Yeah, this this isn't like I, c- I keep coming back to Groundhog Day. That character starts out as unlikable. And so it's okay that he has that segment where he does bad things. Because we're like, yeah, that makes sense. He has to become a better person. Tim seemed like an okay guy from the start. So yeah. we, we can't have him doing horrible things. No, because you already feel for him. Because as I say, the first narration, I think he says, you know, I'm, I'm too skinny. I'm, I'm too orange or whatever. It mm-hmm. is, I'm too ginger. You know, all that. He's self-deprecating. You know, you kind of, he's a, he's a bit like the Harry character. In that, okay, he knows his flaws and he knows, right, it's not gonna, my life's not going to be easy because, you know, I don't have the tools if you like. And, you know, when you see the Margot Robbie character, you know, every guy in the cinema goes, oh, God, I'm not, you know, he's not good enough for this girl or, or what we think is not good enough for the, he himself thinks, oh, I'm not good enough for someone so gorgeous, you know. So you feel for him. Mm. And I think one thing which I, I just like at this moment looking at the visuals is that as Tim walks away, and, you know, as you said, Harry follows, it almost feels so much more real and natural with the fact that he stops in the doorway and starts calling up. Mm-hmm. Like I, I can't tell what it is about that that makes it feel more natural, but that just feels like the sort of thing that people would do. Yeah, he's not going to think... follow him. He's not going to follow him up the stairs, you know. And you know, in that moment, it's like well, I've told you, and uh, you know, you've left the room. He's in the kitchen, you know, to leave. It. That's his. That's his thing. He's feeling sorry for himself in the in the kitchen in a way. He's not about know? to chase after him. Yeah. No, and why? I mean, like I say, he's going. You know, you. Tim's leaving the scene. He's not leaving the scene. Right. He just had to finish the so long sentence before Tim was out of earshot. That's all. Yeah, it's like, I yeah. haven't finished yet. I want to tell you how awful it is. I'm on a roll here. <laughs> and then Tim just says, not quite that, as he goes up. And actually, this is this is like the reverse of what we did have with Tim and Mary early on. We're on the closer up shot on Harry mm-hmm. and Tim's from the distance, yep. which is quite interesting. They're shot in that way. And actually, we get to see the bedroom yep, again. and it's still I decorated, we, yeah. I, yeah. Yeah, he hasn't taken down the Britney Spears poster <laughs> or anything. But he's yeah. a guest. Would you do that? I mean, if you're a guest in someone's house, you're not going to kind of redecorate the place. You know, you've, he's been given that bed, he's been given that room, but it's not his, you know. Yeah. Again, yeah, is it's there all, any it's all transitional, as isn't it? Yeah, is there any indication as to how long he's actually supposed to be there for? Just, However I long, I think it depends he... how law how law school goes. I don't know how long that takes in this setup. Yeah, I think it's I think it's sort of um, open ended. I think it's a case of you know I'm going to use the room and see how it goes. You know, because yeah. he's come to London and you know I don't know what's going to happen. He doesn't know what's going to happen. So I think it, even more so, it's one of those things. He's not going to come in and start redecorating. You know, I like I like how the bed is like half made, like. <laughs> Like he's he's made he's made the bed ish, but it's I don't know it, it feels more real once again that it's sort of like roughly made and he's gone back about well, his yeah, day. Yeah, I mean, it's not. A there's no home. one he's it's trying no, to impress. Mum's not going to come yeah. in and say, "Why haven't you made your bed?" You know, it's that classic <laughs> thing when you leave when you when you first leave home. You know, you kind of go a bit mad. Then you don't do anything. You leave everything lying around on the floor. You know, because you can, and then you get tidy again because you know because it, it starts to annoy you. 
That's that's how I felt. I mean, again, everyone will, will come to it differently. I wanted to go back to what you said about staying close on Harry and yeah. seeing uh, Tim walk up the stairs. Because, again, yeah. that's, a, that's an easy way of saying, in this moment, our focus is on Harry. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Whereas before, as you said, you, know, you saw the POV of Mary going down the alleyway, but that was we were with Tim looking at her. Yeah. Now we've kind of, we, we want to know... Because we know, we know what he's going to do. We know he's going to go upstairs yeah. and he's going to go back in time. So we don't need to go with him. Here, yeah. we want to know, we're kind of going, you know, it's almost like saying, oh, Harry, you don't know what's going to happen now. You know, don't worry about it. You know? It's quite good that Tim actually can go back in time in that room in the dark because his dad said, cupboards or bathrooms at a push. Yeah. So he's he's succeeded with the bedroom mm-hmm. quite well. Yeah, I suppose you I know. Guess it's again, quite late at night, isn't it? Yeah, and this is this is what we were talking about in the, in the last podcast. In that thing of the whole, if you go into the technicalities of and the rules of this time travel, you're kind of missing the point. It breaks a piece in your hand. It yeah. breaks to pieces in your hands, but it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Like that's not what right. the film's about. It's it's an anti-time travel time travel film, so they don't need to talk about time travel. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's I say it's a device to to tell the story, but in the end, you know, because. It, in the end, it comes around, as he says, is like going back in time, you know, isn't this blessing that everyone thinks it would be. It ultimately becomes a curse or could become a curse. So it's more that of we go off and use this device thing. And then in the end, we come back and realize that it doesn't matter if you've got it or not. You've got to kind of live life you know, day by day. You don't watch Toy Story and question why the toys can talk. And you don't watch <laughs> Shining and question why there are these things in the hotel. It's just that's how the film works. Let's tell a story with it. Yeah, exactly. And I think if you actually stop and if you watch the film and try to, you know, and, and try to analyse the, the, the rules of the time travel and whether he's breaking them or not, well, I tell you, one, you're going you're gonna to freak yourself out and probably make yourself a bit ill. But the other is, say, it doesn't matter. That's not the, that's not the point. Yeah. So, Robert, how does the flashback go? Well, we're, f- we're flashing to a moment we haven't seen yet, so it all goes just yes. in reverse order. It keeps it simple. What I dis- was disappointed by, though, here is there's no flash of darkness. I really wanted a, f- a flash to them in the restaurant. It would have been hilarious. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, because we only see them outside when it's all happening. Yeah. And then it, then it just... It goes from Joanna getting pulled away by Jay to Jay and yeah. Tim being led in by Carlo. It skips the darkness. And I'm like, oh, yeah. that would have been great. Just <laughs> have these, a second. Are these, all the, are these all the exact shots that we see in the film? Yeah. Yeah. Like, okay. That makes more Which sense. Which is why it doesn't do the, the weird, slightly out of order thing at the end of the flash is because we're going to a scene that didn't happen. So that yeah. original doesn't exist. And then, as we said, you know, it's, it's, it's his name up with the play. Mm-hmm. On the old the guilty man, Harry Chapman. Where I mean, Groundhog Day premiered, by the way. Oh, really? The, music, the yeah. musical. Really? Yeah. <laughs> at the old at Vic. The old Vic, yep. Robert, I'm actually intrigued. What, what made you start the Groundhog Day project? It was a fluke. It was life was going through a change, and I was in grad school, and it was still summer break, and I needed something to do. And then as soon as I started it, I knew it was going to last a while. <laughs> yeah. So, so how, how long did you end up going watching Groundhog Day every day? I watched it every day for a year, and then I'd watch it once a month for the next what three years? Wow! And with wow. other movies on the <laughs> other days. Wow! Can you still watch it? Yeah, I, I watched it on Groundhog Day this year. I watched it again. <laughs> it's it, it seems super short now when I watch it, though it flows so quickly. Well, yeah, because you absolutely like know press every, play you know and it's over. Cut, I'm like, okay. You know everything that's happening. Uh-huh. Yeah. I mean, so you you said that will happen with this as well for me. Yeah, you know, with, by the end it'll it'll flow differently when you watch it after this. 
but you know that's always always also the mark of a good film i mean i've got obviously got your film library and i and even i thought when when you could first buy films you know on vhs dvd is like would I ever watch these films again? And the right. thing is, you do. And yeah. even more so, if you leave it for 10 years or something, you change as a person and you mm-hmm. approach that film differently. The film itself, which at the time was 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 relevant and, and kind of now suddenly becomes a period piece because yeah. you know, watching Back to the Future is not just watching Back to the Future, but you're also 1980 now is the past. So, you know, it yeah. becomes a different film. And so, you know, it's why we can watch black and white movies and they can be relevant. Plus, they're also a period piece. I mean, that's the thing about, you know, a good film. You can watch it over and over again and see something different uh, every time. I, you know, when I did the podcast about The Godfather, we were talking about that. You know, Raiders of Lost, Raiders of Lost Ark, I've watched, uh, I don't know how many times. I've lost yeah. count of how many times. Every time I watch it, I have to watch it all the way through and I love it. And I see different things in it. You know, you start looking at the production design. You start looking at the wobbly sets. You mm-hmm. know all that stuff, and you and you, but you you just love it on all those levels because it always works. And yeah. Always Do you have works. a go-to rewatcher film? Because for a while, I watched National Lampoon's Vacation loads, and I really loved it. And then it sort of became a bit too much. And then I hadn't watched it for like a year or two, and I went back, and it was great watching it in that view. So obviously I'm now really careful whenever I watch any other film, like especially about time. Like I always make sure that I've it's not a film I'll ever have on just in the background. Like it's one which I have to fully enjoy because otherwise I'm worried that it will lose that. But I think my my go-to rewatches I can think of is I guess I watch Lame Is quite a lot because my sister really likes Lame Is around. She's watched it like thirty six times or something, <laughs> nice. and I've probably been there most of the times that she's watched it. Other than that, like. I mean, it obviously depends what mood you're in. Yeah. I think if I'm if I'm in the mood for sort of a silly comedy, I'll watch like National Lampoon's Vacation. Um, I can't think what else. But there's definitely those. There's definitely a few films which I will rewatch quite regularly. Do, do either of you have sort of that cycle of films? Well, I mean, this might be one for for Robert when you're actually working on the musical. The prop, the the film I have a it kind of ruined for me was I was working at Sky Television. And I was doing a promotion when they were showing Goodfellas. And so mm. I was doing, I was kind of picking out quotes and scenes and making promos from the film. And now I kind of struggle to watch Goodfellas and I can't watch it because all I can see is myself editing the, editing these bits <laughs> out. And I, and I watch it in kind of bite sizes and it's, it, ru- it ruined it for me. Uh, so working on it. You know, just watching a film over and over again when you feel in the mood, like you're saying, Luke, never. I don't think there's a film that, you know, because you just don't watch it. If you're not in the mood, you just don't watch it. It just happens to be that, you know, when I see The Godfather, there's a moment where you go, oh, I quite fancy watching that. And you see it and it works. But physically working on a film or having to kind of, you know, take it apart like this, like about time. I mean, I think this is slightly different because you're not kind of, you know, you're not editing it in any way. But that was that was the experience I had. Goodfellas, I struggle to watch now because I just see it as a as as work. I am kind of worried as to what this whole podcast will do to this film. I hope it'll mean I'll appreciate it more, and I, I hope it doesn't. I hope it adds more to it rather than taking stuff away, which I'm sure it will. You you um, might go through a phase where it takes away from it, and then it'll loop back and make it better. In the way I experience it, okay, yeah, I'd, I'd agree. I think I probably won't watch it all the way through until after we've done all of these. Like, we're a quarter of the way through the film already, yeah. which is shocking, really, as to how quickly we've managed to do this. 
Well, I guess that's what happens when we do five minutes per week and record two weeks in a week. Yeah. I guess it adds up. Yeah, and I think I think the other thing is you're, it's not just you working on it. When I was working on the Goodfellas thing, it was just me, you know, in an edit suite, you know, going backwards and yeah. forwards and making, you know, making ins and outs. And I was very much, I was really kind of, I wasn't analysing it. I was literally just picking quotes from it and trying to make a trailer kind of out of it. Or 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 a uh, or a promotion out of it. In your case, you're analysing and you're talking about it, and you're also getting our views of it, on it as well, other people's views on it, which is also interesting. So you can then watch the film now with a new perspective. So it's another reason to watch it. So I think I think if anything, it will be a, a good experience, not a bad one. Incidentally, if any of our listeners haven't seen the film or hate the film really be good to have someone on with those opinions because incidentally <laughs> yeah. everyone I've chosen so far has loved the film which is great but I'd love to hear someone explain why they don't like it or someone see a scene like this for the first time like Robert has there ever been a movie by minute podcast wherein like one of the hosts is only watching the film for the first time each minute because I feel like that'd be, that'd just be I kind think of interesting I think someone asked that question once and there was one but I don't remember what movie it was I, that was sort of what I did with Mandy it was literally the second time I watched it was minute by minute complaining about every minute of it <laughs> oh no not every minute there was one minute where I had no complaints that would be interesting I mean that, to, to watch a film you've never seen all the way through and just 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 watch it minute by I, minute I, I mean, did that to other people with uh, Dave Made a Maze Dave Made a Maze I yeah. sent out random minutes to people and then they each had three to five minutes of the movie often out of order and they didn't even know where it was and and you you with that as well it wasn't necessarily or at least the two episodes I did you weren't talking with us no no it was you just, just gave other them people. to us and was like you were like right record a minute of yeah. record an episode of this and i think most of my episodes were me googling the film because <laughs> uh-huh. i was like i don't know what i can say to myself my co-host dropped out last minute yeah, so you had to so do it, it by yourself just me talking to myself for 20 minutes one of those 20 minutes being when my mic was unplugged yeah. so good work on the editing with that I've, <laughs> I had a, I've had a real i've had a real pain with the episode with the three episodes of this where my mic wasn't plugged in yeah. luckily it's ever so slightly nicer when the other two do have their mics plugged in. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, the, the thing about watching it minute by minute, I mean, you get that idea of, you know, we've all watched the film where I'm sure, you know, you've watched the first half hour and gone, I don't know about this at all. It's not really doing anything for me. But then by the time you got to the end of it, you've gone, all oh, right, I get it. Because, you know, the ending is, has made sense at the beginning or whatever. I mean, it's that yeah. thing of, you you know, it's, it's why I can never understand when people say, oh, well, I left after half an hour. You know, I couldn't take it anymore. Say. So, but you haven't watched the film then because you've however painful it is you've got to watch all of it yeah there's only a few films that i literally couldn't i just uh, i don't think it's going to resolve <laughs> there, and, you know, there's I'm only been pretty a few... sure it's going to be awful all the way through but yeah. it's very there's only been rare. a few i turned off and then last year i made an effort to go back and watch the ones i could remember of those to see if i was right <laughs> and i'm like i was <laughs> it's <And> fine you? <laughs> yes yeah, I was yeah, so I happy. I'm like, oh, good. It yeah, sucked. You, you have, you, yeah. After after a while, you have an instinct, don't you? You kind of think, no, this isn't going to get any better. But I think I had that with. Uh, he doesn't mind me saying, Bad Lieutenant. When I watched Bad Lieutenant, mm. in the eight, I really struggled with that. I was going, I don't know if I can make this to the end. And then, if you haven't seen Bad Lieutenant, obviously Luke, you probably haven't. 
you know, there's there's a there's a, a I know it exists. A big that's scene. There's a big scene. Yeah, you because know, it's I mean it's pretty horrendous. So the first sort yeah. of forty minutes is just this man being really awful. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like you're saying to about a character you don't like. I mean, there's nothing nice about this character. And I'm sitting there going, why am I watching this character who is horrible for forty minutes? You know, I don't know how much more I can take of this. But the scene at the end, which makes sense of all of that, is so. What I'm trying to say is. You have to go through the initial forty minutes for that scene to work, yeah. Because it's a transformational, you know, it's transformational for the character. So you've got to kind of go into this, into the depths with this character to come out the other side. But it's painful, <laughs> you know. It's really painful. Do you ever notice when you're sharing a film with someone that often it feels like it takes so much longer to get into the good part of the film <laughs> when you're sitting <laughs> next to someone? It's like, oh no, it gets better. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> I do it in my own film because I know what's coming. Because I go, hang on, just just oh. you know, forty minutes, and then you'll know more, kind yeah. of what's going on. But up to that point, nobody knows kind of what's going on. But that's not a. I don't see that as a bad thing because again, you you've got to, you know, if you know everything in the first five minutes, what's the point of watching the film? That, that's that's the thing. Now yeah. is that thing of short attention span. All right, but yeah. a movie is not about short attention span. If you want short attention span, then don't watch a movie for watch a short an film, hour right? for two hours. Yeah. You know, it, it doesn't make sense to me. You know, you're going for that experience and you know you have to give up that two hours. And yeah, you'll be mightily pissed off if those two hours in your mind have been wasted. But you've got to give it that chance. I think at least as a filmmaker, and obviously you have the longer term perspective of this, I I don't think you can ever not benefit from watching the film. Like, I think there's always, you'll, you'll get some level of enjoyment in either it being bad or in looking at the way it's shot or in the way that they have done it right or wrong like i think i think if you try hard enough there's enjoyment in any film yeah i mean i i I honestly you know i i can't believe any filmmaker goes into this wanting to make a bad film i mean there are a few well people make movies that they want to feel like a bad film but they you can tell they're trying to make a good movie that just feels that way and then often it ends up not so bad it's good, it ends up just bad. Yeah. <laughs> like when people yeah. try. And then, but um, the best bad movies are ones where you know the filmmakers were trying to make something good and they oh, had no the idea what so they're good. doing. Yeah. That's why The Room is so great because Tommy Wiseau, I mean, he still believed for a long time after making it that it was a masterpiece. And I mean, to an extent, it is. It's, he it's might still believe that. Um, whether, he, yeah. whether he ever realized otherwise, he came back around to buying the hype. Yeah, and, and like you say, what... You know, I'm still a, waiting for a... my Tommy Wiseau backpack I ordered in December, so if Tommy Wiseau's listening, send me my backpack. <laughs> <laughs> you know, but what's a, what's a good movie? You know, what's a bad movie? As we, as we were saying, Luke, you know, someone watches your film and hates it and gives it a one star. Then the next person watches it and gives it five stars and calls yeah, it a masterpiece. Objective. So what is it? Is it a good film or a bad film? The film hasn't changed. But for this person, it's awful. For that person, it's great. So just go with it. And as I say, as a filmmaker, you know, you go into it desperately wanting everyone to like it. That's yeah. never going to happen. So, and you always obsess about the people who hate it. You go, why did they hate it so much? I, you know, what can I do to make them like it? And you go, well, just forget about that. Concentrate on the people who liked it. Because mm. quite mm-hmm. yeah, I think some of the best right some of the best films aren't trying to make people like it. They're just trying to appeal to that small audience that will. And I think that's off my spot. That, that's why, in terms of American comedy, I prefer Community so much over like Big Bang Theory, for example. Community goes for those obscure pop culture references, knowing that a very few people are going to get it, mm-hmm. but those few people are going to love it. Yeah. Big Bang Theory goes for 
they're nerds because they talk about major films that everyone knows what they're talking yeah. about. <laughs> it's, I mean, I understand the appeal with Big Bang Theory, but it feels too simple and it feels like it's trying to get too many people. And obviously with the audience it pulls, it succeeds in that. Yeah, yeah I think that's why I love stuff like Community. Yeah, and it's and it's uh, you know we were talking about this in the, in the other podcast loop that you know in the end I can't make a film for you or for Robert. I can make a film for myself that I the sort of films right. I like, and I hope someone else likes it as well or likes the way I've done it. But there's no way I can sit down and try and make a film for you because every day you change. So what you what today you like you may not like tomorrow. So you can only do it. and I change as well. It's like you know the worst thing about a film is you have a great idea and then. By the time you've actually made it, it might be one out of it's a different film, <laughs> or you're not interested in it any, anymore, or the audience has moved on, or someone else has made the film, or something similar. You know, it's 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 a hard form of expression because you have you can't express it immediately. By the time the thing I want to express in a film now is going to take me minimum five years to express. If you see what I mean. So to go straight back into the minute because I realise it's been a while. <laughs> we've got we we got Tim running through. The corridor of red doors. I don't know why the fact that the doors are red are standing out to me so much. Well, they're fire doors. It is. They are fire doors, it makes sense. But we don't have that many red fire doors, do we? Well, you know, I mean, this is one for Richard Curtis, the colour red. You know, it's a a Mm. cliche in films. You know, you use use red to draw attention to things. You know, I did it in Last Witness that I, I took all the primary colours out. It's a it's a cliche really in in color palette. A lot of directors use it, and you know I nicked from the best that you and I only use red when something bad happens, you know, and hmm. and it's a subtle way of doing it, but it's very effective. So I think are we straight to go straight into twenty nine, which is such a good minute. Yeah, he comes to the outside <laughs> of the dressing room door for Thomas Sirwell and knocks. I mean, I feel like to an extent. Richard Griffiths is like the one of the only people who could have played this role, <laughs> like into like not not in the nasty way as to how the character is, but just in the sense of being that old, well known, well loved actor. Yeah, yeah, I, I love I love this scene with with him. It's just, again going back to what I was saying before. You know, a tiny little part, but you've got absolutely the right casting here for that. You know, yeah, we see him on stage later on, but ultimately this is the scene. This is the one. And it is that thing, just the way he looks. He's doing his makeup. He's doing his own makeup. You know, and he's, he's just... Uh, I think he's even cutting his nose hairs, which is even better. Is it even better? And what I love is the fact that it's only half of his face that's got the makeup on it. <laughs> it's just, like, you know, that class, that, yeah. you know, your typical kind of theatre. is the theatre actor. You can, you can almost, you know, smell the kind of, you know, the sweat in that room. He, this, is, this is something he's been doing all his life. And, you know, he's come to the... He's a he's a consumer actor, you know, theatre actor, and he's this kind of guy coming and saying, "Oh, just let's talk about the script." It's kind of so so it's kind of silly, and his reaction to it is just priceless. He's just and the kind of and the kind of comic timing is uh, is brilliant. So, according to my notes, the makeup on one side of his face was was Richard Griffith's idea, <laughs> and he's not credited for being in the film. Nope. He's only got a thanks credit, which I guess is something to do with his contract, I'd imagine. I have no idea. No idea. They, they, they didn't say it, but the fact that he, him and Richard E. Grant both got thanks credit rather than cast credit makes me sort of wonder whether it means that they, you know, to do with how much they're paid. And I figured it was a union thing. They were doing it for cheap and didn't yeah. want to force larger payment or anything. Possibly, but what's great about it is this is exactly... You know, the, the best example is Seven, because nobody knew that Kevin Spacey was, was the villain. 
Again, oh, yeah. Luke, I don't know if you've seen it, but obviously, you know, I've just ruined it for you. If I, have, I, I, know, I know of you it. Know, yeah. that, uh, and it. And I was the same as everybody else when he came in, he got his Kevin Spacey, and it was, a, mm-hmm. it was great. It was fantastic. That, and he said, you know, I don't want to be credited up front. So in this case as well, you know, this thing, these are small little parts. So if you put Rich D. Grant and Richard Griffiths on, on the at the top or in the credits, you would expect them to be in the film a lot more. Yeah. Whereas here, these are just, you know, these these are the tiniest of roles. They're, they're a device. This was Richard Griffith's last role, yep. actually, before he passed away. Yeah. Well, fantastic. Well, what a, what a awful that he passed, passed but how, what, a, what a great kind of memory. <laughs> just this little this little scene, yeah. I just think is fantastic. I think it's just fantastic. And, the, and it was apparently really great for him and Richard E. Grant because it was the first time they'd worked together since Whitney and I. Well, yeah, what great, what great memories. I mean, it's just, it's just fantastic. I mean, which I still need to see. I, I'm planning on watching Whitney and I this week. You'll love Whitney and I. In, I think it's you'll, been, in, you'll it's been on my like shelf it. for like a year, and I know I'm going to enjoy watching it. But it's like whenever I sit down to watch a film, I just forget that I own it. So <laughs> you will, you, you gonna... really will like it. I think it's the right time for you to watch that. You know, we were talking about when the right time to watch a film is. This is definitely a good time for you to watch Whitney and I. The lines are hello. Hello, Sir Tom. I'm a friend of Harry's. How's it going with the lines? I'm sorry, what do you mean, the lines? It's just, you know, in the court scene, some of those lines are pretty complex. I just thought maybe it might be worth, you know, having one last look at the lines before you go on. Little refresher. And he says a word we're not saying on the show, (laughs) uh, followed by, off out of here, you arsing lunatic. Get out, you ginger twerk. Go on. Patronising piece of... And then we... I, I, I do I do love his delivery of yeah. that line. Like I think Richard Curtis used pretty much as much strong language as you can use in a twelve film yeah. in this film. I know it's an R in the States. And I think each use of it doesn't feel out of place, doesn't feel gratuitous. Like ev- every use of strong language feels justified and so brilliant. <laughs> Yeah, and I think that's the that's the that's the best way of using you know foul language if you like. There's there's people deliver it really well. I just remember, and it's also just it is a vernacular. I remember you know when I worked on a on a construction site, and you know everybody talks differently. So I was I was in uh, in on the site, and I was ultimately because I was a student, I was talking to everybody. So one minute you're talking to a surveyor or a manager, next minute you're talking to the guy who's you know the digger driver. And, uh, you know, the surveyor is, is, uh, is university educated. Obviously his, his uh, language is very different to the digger driver whose every second word is the F word, you know, <laughs> but you don't notice it. It just, and, and it's funny and just, and you, and it's just great listening to him because it just, it's just part of the, the, the way he, his character. And this is the same. And it's something about posh people when they swear, which is funny. Yeah. Hmm. Well, it's like Lindsay Duncan later on in the film. There's something so powerful in her delivery of "I'm absolutely effing furious." Yes, yeah. the with the idea of life without your father. Like, if she was a character who was effing and blinding all the time, you wouldn't notice. Exactly. But the fact that she's such a reserved character, you know that it took a heck of a lot for her to say that. Yeah, yeah. And to an extent, in the one use of strong language I've got in Unstable, when Adam says, "My life is in a effing mess." That was the same delivery. Lindsay Duncan was the sort of delivery I was thinking at that point. It's like it needs to be effective. And I mean, I, I don't mind when it's within a character in a film for someone to swear quite a lot. But obviously, I I prefer it if they don't. <laughs> but yeah, it's like... So, so it's always nice when the words are delivered in such a way where 
it would be so difficult to get offended. Yeah, I mean, it's the way Harry delivers it. You know, he's the, you, you can't yeah. be offended by, you know, it's a frustration coming out. It's within and, character. Yeah, and I, I remember still to this day, I will not swear in my mum's house. I just, I can't do it. Because right. if I swear in my mum's house, I hear it and it, and I feel awful. But the minute I step out of the house, I swear blind, you know, and I don't even hear it. That's the difference, that you're very aware of what you're saying. And if you're in a particular kind of company, you know, you're not even aware of how much you're swearing. And Robert, this is one for you. I mean, 80s American movies. Yeah. I watch back of them now. There is so much swearing. Oh, yeah. <laughs> in those films. To the point I'm going, I don't remember there being this much swearing in these films. I mean, it's F, it's, it, the F word is used to me too much because it, it loses its effect. It's, yeah, it's lost its effect yeah. completely. So that's why it's such a relief in films like this when it's like, actually, you know what, its effect has come back for a minute. <laughs> I think it's a, in a lot of cases, it's a lazy way to shock. I think now, you know, before when people were a lot better spoken and it was a big deal to kind of swear, now people just swear all the time. But it, as I say, it loses effect. You know, it's, a, it's, it's, a, it's sometimes used in a very lazy way. By a lot of people, and uh, and it's kind of become a cultural thing that everybody swears. But as I say, it's a, why you know when you've got films where people don't much and then they do. It's great. Steve Martin in Planes, Trains, and Automobiles. That would be like a PG film if it wasn't for that that one time one right, scene yeah. where he says, I think it's like seventeen or eighteen f words. I'm not certain. Listeners can tune into the Planes, Trains, and Automobiles episode of Please Be Seen. I'm in that episode of uh, the Next Scene podcast. Is what it's called now, but. When oh. they did Planes, Trains, and They can listen to both. That one. Well, uh, so, that, so if they they can listen to both our podcast spots on, <laughs> on Planes, Trains, and Automobiles. I can't believe About Time was an R in America. Was it an R? Yeah. Was it R-rated? Well, that's, that's yeah, it's weird. Yeah, that's weird to me, yeah. It's it's such a... It's a family film to me. Like, yeah, there's bits. But it's a film which I quite like watching with my family. And as you say, you know, it's a classic thing in America that, you know, you have a couple of swear words in a film and it's R-rated. Yeah. Um, yeah, but it's, you'll have your box you'll ticking, have aren't you? More than an weird action context. movie where people are being shot all over the place, and it's a it's a it's a fifteen or a PG twelve or something or a PG thirteen. Yeah. So you know, again, this thing of violence seems to be okay, but swearing is a real no no. <laughs> yeah, isn't isn't Taken PG thirteen in the states? Probably, I don't know. Okay, it's an eighteen for us. I haven't actually seen Taken to be honest, but I know enough of it. Where I find it kind of, well, there's a film which is an 18 here and PG-13 there. So. Well, that's it. That's yeah, taking it as PG-13. Yeah. It's not a PG-13. That is not a PG-13 movie by any stretch of the imagination. It's just, you know, that shouldn't be. You know, so it's it's weird. I, I don't understand that kind of classification. I know it's business, but still, that's kind well, of... Well, it's, it's like this movie. I think it, part of the reason it's a rated R in America was because nudity. Oh yeah. Which, if you think of this movie, it's like, where is there? You nudity? have to think for a minute. It's... You have to think for a minute. Hang on. And it's the Kate Moss. It's Kate Moss photos <laughs> on the wall. No. Yeah. Really? I mean, and possibly because they say f more than. Oops, you'll have to bleep that one, Luke. Yeah. They right. say that more than just once, which we generally will. You'll allow one as long as you're not talking about the act of doing it. But if you do more, it's good. the rating's going to go up. Okay, we have very I mean, specific. Odd. Whereas we're weirdly conservative, crude standards, except when it comes to violence. Well, that's it. That's that's. I mean, that's always been there, but that's that's yeah. kind of shocking, isn't it? Because I mean, there's 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 the scene where uh, he first sleeps with her, which is you know on rewind. He go, he does it three times, four times, whatever. Yeah. 
Yeah, that's going to be a that's very uncomfortable nudity. week of episodes. <laughs> yeah, that's there's... that's mild. <laughs> then yeah. there's well, the other implied, one, isn't it? you know, this, the where she um, says, "Okay, you know, uh, I'll take off an item of clothing for every decision you make." Yeah, she walks around with no shirt, but she's got her hands on her breasts. Yeah, so I for mean, a whole scene, like you say, what nudity? That's not right. Yeah, I feel like your your eyes in the Kate Moss scene aren't drawn to the Kate Moss pictures. No, not at all. Like, and yeah, that's that's the thing. But what's wrong with and... the nudity? Then you got that's like a moral issue as well. I mean, it's not pornography. It's not. It's a. It's an artistic photograph, hmm. isn't it? Well, that's that's where the that's where the BBFC tend to stand. If it's not in sexual context, like they got in a lot of trouble. I think it was like in the twenties or something for passing a a naturist documentary at you. Because there's no material that's offending anyone in it, you know. It's just a, uh, but yeah, stuff like that. Life of Brian's a twelve, a twelve A now in the UK. Yeah. So things like that, like we don't mind in terms of the context, you know. I think Kramer versus Kramer, I think, has got some really brief nudity in it, yep. or like the Carry On films and things like that. Like they're fine at PG here. I don't know what they are in in the states, but yeah, it is kind of odd that sometimes I think that's what it is with with the states and your age rating system. I'd love to get someone from the MPAA on yeah, this at some yeah. point, actually. We've had BBFC on Please Be Seated. We've got to have someone from the MPAA. Well, and then the MPAA claims they don't have specific standards. And documentaries have shown that when if the producers or the distributor is big enough, the standards change, too. So Yeah. Well, you can it's... imagine, because, I mean, a lot of films, they, they, you know, they go for that rating because they want a bigger audience, you know. Yeah. The whole thing of, you know, you don't want a, a high rating because, it, it, you know, you want that that middle ground. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The BBFC will stick with their stand. And I, I mean, I can, I can say this, I assume you're, you're involved slightly because you've, but I guess it's more your distributors that sort out the age rating. Is it with the BBFC or did you have any conversation there at all? And myself for last yeah. witness. Well, I knew I always wanted it to be a 15 because again, I, I wanted the audience. So yeah. I was already aware going into it, what I could and could not get away mm. with. As I was with 12A for unstable. And I know that when you fill out the form for the BBFC, I mean, there was no reason I was getting age rated other than the fact that I like age ratings and I was going <laughs> to spend 60 quid on doing it for the sake of that. So I, when you fill out the form for BBFC, they do ask you what age rating you're after. They can't guarantee you get it, but they can advise cuts or they can advise that's that you right. add stuff. Yeah. Or so say if you want a 15, well, you have to cut this out. You know, but if you, it, it's an 18, but if you make these cuts, it becomes a 15, all that. And then it's your decision from an artistic yeah. And they, they have done it the other way around as well. Like there's... They weren't allowed to tell me what it was, but I know that it was said that there was a stand-up comedian who had used the C-word several times in his act, but he'd bleeped it. They wanted an 18, but he got a 15. They basically said, if you want an 18, just cut the bleeps out. Yeah. Like, yeah, and I'll be the... um, So they can advise it both mm. ways. But I remember all the way back from you know when I started, this was always a, a, the issue because the, the rating becomes part of the promotion. Because, you yeah. know, if it's an 18 or if it's an 18, you know, then people are expecting that film to be quite yeah. hard and, you know, or violent or a lot of nudity or whatever. So, you know, that's that's hitting that audience. And that, that audi- if that if that's the audience you're going after, then they're expecting something quite tough. So a 15, people will go, oh, right, well, OK, it's not going to be that tough. It's going to be a kind of family friendly. But 15 is kind of a good, you, you can still get away with quite, tough stories the the, but... the most films under any category is 15 yeah and i'm, yeah. I'm not surprised by that at all and here that, it's probably pg-13 same reason but, you know right when i was mm. in school you know the minute a film is banned or if it's a x you know an x film as it was at the time those are the films you want to see because as a mm-hmm. teenager you want to it's see a shame all the we stuff don't get that, that. See. 
Yes, yeah, so when's the last time we've had a banned movie? <laughs> well, yeah, but... I don't think there's been a major one in my lifetime. Oh, there was that, it's, what was it called? Blue Story or something. What's it called? That was banned for a while because the fights happened. Well, that's Blue Story, cinema. yeah. But again, you Blue know, Story, yeah. I it's probably, it, the, best really thing, it's probably the best thing that happened to that film because then everybody wanted oh, to yeah. see what the fuss was about. Hmm. And I think there's definitely some films under higher age ratings where you think, why is it under that? Why has it got that? But yeah, it helps us the marketing. Anyway, to continue minute, we have... Is there anything on the visuals at all or do we go well, straight Well, yeah, because Sir Tom, sense? the great thing about his character... Oh, is yeah, he looks After the Tim leaves, yeah. he picks up the script, <laughs> starts to... He flips to the page and then looks over at the door before he looks down at the lines and goes over them. Yeah. So he's, he's looking. <laughs> he's got, like, a highlighted paragraph on that page and he's just going to check. Yeah, uh, again, I love it. Again, it's that thing of, as you say, it's visual. It's that thing of visual filmmaking, you know. The script, the dialogue is all all great, but it's it's the visual. Turn the sound off. You know what are you getting from that film? Do you know what's going I on? Guess I guess I told you, didn't I, Piot? That like, the best review I got for Unstable was someone saying, "I understand what happens with the film when I put it on mute." Yeah, yeah. Like it's this, it's it's the best thing. That's every film. I, I, I honestly I don't know where I heard that from. But someone said that, and I do think that's a, a real mark of any. I think any film that we like, we should watch with the sound off and see if it still works. And I think it absolutely will. So, you know, Godfather with the sound off, Raiders with the sound off, you know, yeah. Seven with the sound off. I'm sure. I mean, technically I am now, I guess, because I've got the transcript on one monitor and I've got the video on another monitor. So I am looking at the <laughs> film each minute without the sound on. And it is. I mean, uh, what, what that does, yeah. like you say, because you're so used to listening, you know, t- turn the sound off and you and you have to focus on the on the pictures. And then you absolutely appreciate all those things we talked about, you know, the production design, the costume design, the color palette. You know the the blocking of the actors. You know the reactions of the actors. You know it, we you should absolutely know what they're saying without having to hear what they're saying. One thing that so when we when we go when we cut to actually seeing the play, yeah. obviously it's a legal drama. It interests me that it's never mentioned the fact that Tim is a lawyer and the play is about law. Like I feel like there'd be at least some sort of line or something about it but then once again i like the fact that there isn't (laughs) well it comes back to why there's no reason he needs to be a lawyer in the movie either but the connection between that and the play is nice because he's fixing a legal thing here we can understand what he might do on his Mm. day job later and i think maybe it almost gives us that comfort again like the fact that it's a situation on stage that we're already familiar with from tim's work and i I, and so the only line that we get of that is and now the defense But even the way that this is shot, like it was all done within a day because they only had the two Richards for, for the day, I'm pretty sure. But it is wonderfully shot. And once again, Richard E. Grant, like you, you, you think Richard Griffiths, it's like, OK, you know, that's that's a celebrity cameo. And then there's Richard E. Grant yeah. as well. And, <laughs> and you see him sitting there before he does anything, too. It's yeah. like, yeah, what's he again, doing there? It's not even like the it's not even like a grand reveal of him. It's just like, and Richard E. Grant's there now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and that's great. And that's great for us watching it as well, because that's so much fun. You know, I love watching films, especially when you don't know they're in there. You know, and it's and it's again great casting, and because he's such a good actor, when he dries, you know, that's what's that's the fun of it all. And obviously, yeah. the way the whole thing is structured, anyway, is is you know, is he's led us he's led us down this down this alley, and we're all comfortable and we're all happy. We're sitting there with him. He's done he's done the right thing. He sorted it all out, and he hasn't. And they're both well-loved British actors, so the fact yeah. that we're seeing them on stage, it's not out of place. 
like they're in their zone that they, they could have been like if he didn't say Sir Tom you could almost assume that Richard Griffiths is playing himself and Richard E. Grant's playing himself like yeah, obviously caricatured say, to- versions of them but you totally believe it you know it's in London it's the old Vic why wouldn't they be on stage so, have we got any sort of final comments on this minute? Uh, no, I'm just reiterating no. what I said before. I think, you know, every there are, there are no small parts. You know, you want the best actor for every little part. You know, I remember wanting that in the, in the film I made. You know, even your extras, you know, everybody who's in the frame, uh, every part is important, even if it's one line, because of that thing of, you know, you can have a great film, but if that one part or that one line, a bit like in the play, you know, Everything went well up to that point until he dried, and that's what everyone's got to remember. Oh, yeah, I remember heavily directing so... my extras in Unstable. Like it was like we've only got a couple of extras, but I remember putting a lot of focus onto making sure that they were being good extras. I mean, do you remember? I mean, it's not in our minute, but do you remember when the when Richard E. Grant actually dries and he yeah. and Richard Curtis cuts to the to the guy playing the soldier. Mm-hmm. And he kind of, you know, he kind of blows his cheeks or whatever. And it's even that little <laughs> moment's great. They're all suffering. <laughs> They're all yeah, is that is that next episode? Do we touch on that? Uh, I don't remember if the soldier's the next one or the one after. But it's, it's getting there. Speaking of extras, though, I do now have a last note for this minute. Because when they cut to the audience shot and Tim and Harry are sitting there, there's this one woman off to the left that you can tell is leaning just to make sure the camera sees her. <laughs> She's not looking at the camera, but you can tell she's leaning around the person in front of her. I'm like, stop it. Hang on, how close is she to Tim so I can try and... Oh, she's a few rows back (laughs) and in, like, top left corner of the frame. You can see her, she's just leaning out away. Oh, yeah. Oh, that's so (laughs) obvious now you've said it. (laughs) (laughs) Now, the one for me is rewatch Mission Impossible, Tom Cruise, the first Mission Impossible. Hmm. Right at the end, he's sitting in a pub by the Thames with Ving Rhames. Yeah. And there's two girls in the middle of the frame and I, I can't watch I just I'm just looking at the, t- the two girls it so looks like <laughs> that was just either somebody's girlfriend that said oh you can sit in the you can it's the last shot you know you can sit in the frame with, <laughs> with uh, Tom Cruise and Bing Reigns because they're just like they just don't look like extras they just are not being natural some they, of the extras in the room are a bit similar they're, they? they're aware of the camera like Robert like in the in the in like the coffee cafe scene in yeah, the room. Like yeah. some of the extras in the background of that are... Well, I guess they're not extras because they technically have lines. Yeah, they have <laughs> lines. But one yeah. of them, yeah, he he get, he keeps doing motions in the background like he wants to make sure he's still in the shot. And he's but, still one of the best actors in the film because of it. So many times you kind of, you know, you get that comment of, you know, it's a great film, but you see that guy in the back of shot there, you know, uh-huh. it's, you're, as, you're as good as your worst extra. You know, and once you notice those things, you notice them every time. Yeah, it's you know, it's the it's the stormtrooper in Star Wars. You know, once they oh, yeah. it out, you know, everybody watches for it. You know, it's all so it, it could be good publicity to the film to an extent, but it could also ruin if they're doing the, the right if the extras doing the right thing, like the end of Teen Wolf, where you have the people always say it's a guy with his pants down, but if you watch the scene, it's a woman <laughs> who stands up, but in the last shot in the background, her pants are unzipped. And everyone's like, what is going on there? It, <laughs> it, it's just weird. But, but I mean, once another, people saw you know, it, a, it gets publicity for the movie. When you look another at reason to watch the film, you know, don't watch the film with the sound off and now watch the film just for the extras. Just watch the yeah. film and yeah. just watch the background. You know. Ignore like, the action. Yeah. I've noticed myself doing that or being, being a lot more finicky since, since I'm doing Unstable, being a lot more finicky with watching films and looking at extras and almost 
unintentionally looking for continuity errors. I've noticed that a lot. <laughs> like I'm watching it and I've and I'm all, I realize partway through I'm just looking in the background trying to find something that I can say is wrong with this film <laughs> just because I'm so used to doing it with my own. No, I, I tell you what, I tell you, once you get into continuity, you know, just what again, watch your favorite films and see how much how many continuity errors there are. I mean, it's just so difficult. This, these, these are the top, really top 10 hard. things to do during lockdown. Watch the same film yeah. over about four times. Well, once on different re- well, you know, yeah. Once with the sound. Way, once on mute. Once, with... once turned away from the screen so you just hear it. <laughs> once oh, with yeah. the extras and once with the continuity. Once with the continuity. Yeah. But continuity and then break you'll it down see a minute how time. you'll see how much continuity you can get away with. It's almost yeah. like it's like a good thing because you, you're so, when you first start making films, you're so kind of trying to be hot on continuity. Pick the glass up at this point and then you, I've seen so many Hollywood movies that the continuity is all over the place and you don't care because you don't notice it because your eye it's where your eye is when I was doing a TV show Luke literally it went out it wasn't one of mine it was uh, luckily <laughs> but it went out and there was a cameraman with the camera in frame <laughs> and no one noticed it and it's gone through you know editing it's gone through grading it's gone through dub it's gone through, every, you know, everybody's watched it and it went out with a cameraman clearly in shot with a camera. Wow. It so, reminds you know, me that's of. That's how um, bad it can get. Reminds me of Doctor Who when they announced Pearl Mackey to play Bill as the, the companion and they did the whole announcement video and it was like one of the biggest moments on television that year. It was part of a big sporting event and they missed out a space. It's introducing Pearl Mackey as Bill. And so, so pe- people like Doctor Who fans for ages were just caught and still do just refer to her as as Bill. <laughs> um, like I remember, I listened to a Five Who fans podcast. Like the main one, the main like Billy and John, and they literally, hello, I'm As Billy, and I'm here with As John, and it's just like, oh. <laughs> and I, so things like that. It's, I like it's thinking, yeah, the number of people that have to see these things and approve it, and people just don't notice. Yeah, because it's, yeah. It, it depends where your eye is in the in the frame. You don't look at everything in the frame, you, and you do it. You know, it's it's how you frame things. It's how you block things. You know, you. You draw people's eye to this thing you want them to look at, and that's that's directing as well. You know, I I want you to look at you know Tim. I don't want you to look at the stairs. If I want you to yeah. look at the stairs and not at Tim, if you're you know if you if something's going to happen in the background, like a, you know the hor- the classic sort of horror cliche, then you do it. You, you pull focus to it, so you're doing that all the time. So that's why if something in deep background is slightly wrong, you shouldn't be looking at it anyway. I've I've done my job wrong if you are looking at it and you do spot it. Yeah. So, Piotr, where can our listeners find you on social media? Uh, at Piotr Kopiak and hashtag uh, Piotr Kopiak. And on Facebook, my Facebook page, Piotr Kopiak, that's where I list most of my news about The Last Witness. And Robert? My website, lemmingdrops.com, which includes links to all my podcasts, including The Room Minute, looking at The Room one minute at a time. And on social media, Robert E.G. Black. Listeners can find me on Twitter at llama underscore bottle zero, Instagram, at the Ginger Luke Facebook Luke Allen film everything is at LukeAllen.co.uk and this podcast Facebook Twitter and Instagram at Two Men's About Time thank you so much for listening hope you all tune in on Friday and can any of you think of an interesting way to say goodbye <laughs> in fact Piotr what's, what's, the, what's the Polish way of saying goodbye Dobitzenia there we go The Two Minutes About Time theme is performed by Ethan O'Mahony and is a cover of the About Time theme originally composed by Nick Laird Close. Two Minutes About Time is a production of Lemming Drop Studios in association with Bottle O Productions. <laughs> <laughs>